Hi, welcome to another edition of Steve's Speed Shop. Steve's Speed Shop is brought to you by WarrantyWise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They're in the business of pre-loved Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They've been at it for 35 years, and you can find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. And we're brought to you by Minisports. Anything and everything for the classic mini since 1967. Anna Louise Felstead is an acclaimed automotive artist. She loves to paint cars. And by that, I don't mean she's got a lockup in Stockport where she rubs them down and gives them a quick going over with Tupac. She's an artist, a trained artist, and as well as painting cars, she races them at places like, well, Monaco, for starters. Um, a very different guest, a great guest. Don't miss this one. Anna Louise Foster. Yes, that is her sister on Made in Chelsea. First car is always a great place to start. Well, it's not always a great place to start because um, many guests have have admitted that the first car that they owned never actually made it onto the road. I mean, we've had all sorts of stories of people who bought cars when they were like 12 or something like that and they'd spent years doing it up. Uh, getting it ready for when they were able to drive and it never actually made it onto the road. But did, did your first car make it onto the road? Um, my first car was my grandmother's ancient Ford Fiesta, which had a choke that you had to pull out and push back in again. And so, yes, <laughs> I, I, did, I, I got that as my first car. I loved it. Was it a Mark um, 1? Was, was it one of the very first Ford Fiestas? It, well, I mean, I would. I passed my test when I was seventeen, so uh, I was born in '79. Um, oh. So you'd have to do the maths, and it was about fifteen, twenty years old when I got it. Um, so it, it was. I mean, it was. It was a really actually. I loved driving. It. it was like a little go kart, um, and it was so light. But um, yeah, I've had. A, I've had a fun few um, examples of sort of when I got cars. My parents would always surprise me with my cars. And there was once when. We were in the garden, and uh, my dad said, "Oh my God, there's a ta- one of the foxes. There's a fox attacking all the chickens." And we, I was screaming, running out to try and chase this fox off. And there was this um, Vitara Jeep that I was obsessed with, with a white roof. It was a real hairdresser's car, and it had been it was on the lawn with this big bow around it. But I still thought there was a fox. I went, Where's the fox? Where's the fox? So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I used to get very excited about cars. But, um, Vitara. My brother, wrote, my brother had the Ford Fiesta as well when I passed my test. When, right. when I upgraded for. Some people would say it, consider it a downgrade to the Vitara, but uh, he got it, and I think it lasted three weeks before he wrapped it around the tree, and that was the end of that. Oh, dear. One <laughs> <laughs> of my first car, I've told my first car story so many times that people regularly listen must be thinking, please don't tell us the Citroen story. Okay, I'll tell you the third car. So the, the, there was the Citroen, then there was the uh, the Mini, the 850, in yeah. sand sandstone, I think it was called, the colour with flint, right. flintstone floors and sliding windows. But the third car was uh, a Mark 1 Ford Escort Estate, navy blue. Unremarkable in many respects, but bloody useful because you could get a small motorcycle or motor scooter, and I'm talking about a real motor scooter, i.e. a Lambretta or a Vespa, not some dreadful Japanese shopping thing. Yeah. Um, you could get one in the back. So I all of a sudden became more popular than I'd ever been before because when we used to go off on jaunts to the seaside to uh, cause mayhem, gentle mayhem. Um, it was rockers time. 
yeah, the revival. Not, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there in '64. Okay. Well, no, this would have enough. been this would have been '79, '80 when okay. when there was a big revival and okay. uh, when I was. When I was one, basically. When you were one, yeah. yeah. When you, oh, thanks for rubbing it in. Um, oh, so, yeah, it was great. And it, it, I suppose it depended. When I, because I moved after a few years back onto motorcycles, I'd been on motorcycles and then the whole mod thing and the scooter thing, and I thought, this is great. And it was an urban thing. It was, if you were, if you had something about you and you're into music and, you know, that sort of whole cultural fashion, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And you lived in Manchester or London or Birmingham. If you lived in a big met- metropolitan centre, you almost inevitably ended up doing the mod thing. Whereas mm. I'd meet guys and they were saying, oh, so you used to... And the, you used to have Scooter. And I went, yeah, I was the editor of Scooter in magazine. And they'd be from, like, Shepton Mallet or... so. You know, they'd be from, they're generally rural people. So the much bigger distances meant motorbikes. And, you know, there was no point for them... Hanging yeah. around, hanging around Having outside an Italian cafe on Deansgate in Manchester, and you know, with thirty or forty or fifty other scooters all crammed on the pavement outside, you know. So the, it was an urban thing, and mm. uh, so my point being about this Ford Escort Estate was that sort of it had start on like the Monday or the Tuesday with them saying, "Are you going to uh, Are you going to Morecambe at the weekend for this rally?" Yeah, uh, are you going in your car? <laughs> Because <laughs> like, they, they'd have got together and said, well, if Steve sets off last in his car, right, yeah, <laughs> when we yeah. break down, we'll be able to put it in the back of his car. So I ended up getting, like, talked into going in the But it was useful because I would go in the car and then I'd sleep in it. <laughs> oh, I remember the days sleeping in cars. They were so much fun going to a party in the middle of a field somewhere and drinking too much cider. Having ah, a so, snog with a boy. Right, so was, was it a rural was it a rural uh, upbringing for you? It was. I was born in London and I lived um, in Islington until I was about seven when my school basically told my mum and dad that I was too um, artistic for them, shall we say. <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's a new one. <laughs> it was quite an academic school and I think they realised that I was not academic. So I got sent to a boarding school in Eastbourne. And um, and then soon after they kind of bought, we had we'd had a little country um, cottage in Piddinghoe near Newhaven, and then they bought a house um, near Arlington Speedway. Funnily enough, and uh, I spent my childhood sort of down there. And yeah, it was lots of lots of sort of I had ponies and all that kind of stuff. My so what was chickens and ducks? What was going on at the Speedway? Was it was it like bangers and stock yeah, cars? Yeah, bangers, and... and you could hear them every Wednesday and Sunday night. It was so noisy. I mean, we were quite. We were a couple of miles away, but you could still hear them. And I only went a couple of times, but I loved watching them. You ever done that? You ever, you ever had a go at the, uh, the old stuff? No, cars? I haven't. I it's... haven't. I'm, I'm quite spoiled in the fact that most of my friends with cars have quite posh cars. So um, I've done, <laughs> done some really cool things with them. But um, I've not done the old banger thing, but I'd love to. I think that'd be really fun. It's great fun. It really is. We, we filmed um, some of it for a TV show that I made about um, bikers who built choppers. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys did a bit of the stock car racing, and so we did that thing. If you watch these shows, it's like the backstory, isn't it? They say they show them in the workshop, and then they show them doing their other thing. And yeah. for this guy who built choppers, and he actually won this competition that he was in, he used to race stock cars, and so we went along to film him. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to have a go at this. And so I got a num- the number of the guy who built cars for this chopper builder, and. Uh, 
I got the guy to, I rented a car for him. It's great. You gave him £500, he'd turn mm. up with a car that was ready to race, and you could smash it absolutely to pieces, or, like, not, and whichever one you did, there was no extra charge, and he took away what was left of it. It was great. But surely you wanted to actually complete the race, though. Yeah, but the problem was, um, everyone else was trying to... Uh, <laughs> was trying to... Was trying to reduce the the wheelbase of your vehicle <laughs> considerably by slamming Where into it. Where was this happening? Up north? The, yeah, this was at Bellevue, which is a legendary stadium in Manchester. Part of what used to be... Part of what used to be one of the most remarkable sites in Britain, in, in Victorian and Edwardian Britain, Bellevue, a seaside resort with, like, a promenade and, and a zoo and winter gardens and a concert hall and a greyhound track a mile from the centre of Manchester. You know, like, so it's an amazing place, Bellevue, and it's such a shame that it's that it's hardly there anymore. There is actually the Speedway Stadium, and I have had a go at motorcycle speedway a few times. And the problem with that is... If you actually ride a motorbike, do you ride motorbikes? No, I don't. I think motorbike rides, especially people that ride motorbikes, are complete nutters from the people I've met. <laughs> yeah, but I so know I a death wish. I know a lot of the people that you know, and we all ride motorbikes. Well, virtually all <laughs> of us, at least sort of that gang, like I'd say at least three out of four are motorcyclists. But the thing about Speedway is it's much, much easier if you've never ridden a motorbike. Really? Yeah, because it's got no gears and no brakes, a speedway bike. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's when you try and set off at first, you're used to a motorcycle, which has a conventional clutch and gears, and so you feed out the clutch and the guy's going, no, 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 no. <laughs> you've, you've just got to pop the clutch and, and you've got to absolutely have the the right amount of feel on the throttle or else you will either A, stall it or B, which is much worse flip it (laughs) and I've I've stalled it a million times and I have flipped it a couple of times. So is it like a flat is it like a flat track or is it sort of curved like Brooklands or whatever you call it on a sort of ramp? Oh wow, that'd be amazing if it was like board track racing back in the day Yeah, Uh, the Olympic cyclists No, no, uh, the velodrome, I've actually ridden a bicycle it's all about me this isn't it, I must shut up in a second but um, yeah, riding on a bank track or driving on a bank track is quite remarkable I've, the first couple of times I did it I, I made a film for International Motors who were the Im- importers of Subaru and Isuzu and all that and they took me to a bank circuit to drive the, the new Subaru for this film that they were making and they said um, you've done quite a bit of track driving yeah 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 I've driven all over the world on tracks uh, have you driven on a bank circuit I said uh, apart from a bit of messing about at Brooklyn's no I said alright oh, oh, okay right we'll send you out with a couple of people you go in the middle right you go in the middle <laughs> so it's like right okay and um, just do what they do. But whatever you do, don't break when you come to the turn at the bottom. I was like, really? And they went, yeah, yeah, just go around at a regular speed and we'll keep up in the speed. Very strange. Very strange. No, Speedway... Yeah, Speedway's on the flat. The first time I did it, I went to uh, Sheffield to have a go at it. They had a tri-speedway for motorcycle... for journalist day. And so a lot of journalists came. Most were motorcycle journalists, but there were a couple of local people, including a guy for the Yorkshire Post, which I think is the biggest-selling regional newspaper in the country. And he had a bit of a gob on him. And he was... When I was... um, when I was going out, I came back in and he went, Oh, Steve, you're struggling a bit there, mate. Quite a... You know, he's like sort of... 
People would say bouncer, but basically he was having a bit of a go, and I thought, mm, he's got a gob on him, that Yorkshireman. Anyway, when he went out, he hit the wall and broke his arm. So as they were putting him in the van, <laughs> as, they were putting oh, him in the, as they were putting him in the ambulance, I went, oh, so that's how you do it, is it, mate? Right, I'll, I'll, I'll do that then, shall I? <laughs> as they were taking him away. You got the last word then. Hey, he started it. He started it. Exactly. <laughs> thought it was coming. So the Vita- what happened to the Vitara? Was that was that your pulling car? Was that your clubbing? You'd sort of go no, out, I used drive to drive past the wine bar. College. I was at right. Brighton College of Technology and I was doing an art foundation course and I used to drive in the summer with the top down listening to Ella Fitzgerald you know, blazing out. I loved that car so much. Wow. And I'd, it had those sort of seats in the back where I think it was sort of bench seats. So people, actually, is that right? That can't be right. I, just, I remember having a load of people for my 18th birthday and showing off and wanting to go quite fast and going over the Berwick, Berwick um, station um, train tracks. And I think everyone like levitated about three feet in the air. I suddenly realised that was actually a bit dangerous and maybe I shouldn't have done that. But um, everyone survived. But I absolutely adored that car. Um, but, it, you know, in when it was icy, it was just a death trap. It was so scary. I was going over <laughs> the reservoir once on a bridge and I completely lost it. And it, that was before I did my ice driving course. That would have been quite useful to have that then. Tell, then. Us, about, tell us about the ice driving course. Where, where was it? I that saw... was in Finland. Right. I was invited to um, drive in the Monte Carlo Rally and I had a navigator all sort of lined up. But, but the guy, a friend of mine, Jason Wright, who um, said, listen, do you want to do, do this? And I was like, yeah. He said, well, okay, if you want to do it, the rules are you have to do a nice driving course in Finland first with me um, just to make sure that you know how to handle the car. So we flew out, and it was just the best thing. It was the Porsche Camp 4 ice driving course, and it was just brilliant learning how to sort of, you know, drift and, and just handle the car, really. I mean, a bit different to the old sort of Alfa Romeo that, that I drove in the rally, but it was just you know, it was just the best experience ever. I absolutely loved it. So what was, what was the ice driving done on? Was it on, like, a frozen lake or something like that we did we had so many different courses there was a lake that we were learning to sort of um go around in circles in um mm. and then like donuts and then there was there were loads of other places basically we were taken through trees and um there were great big banks obviously snow banks that you know, inevitably crash into but every i think it was three or four days and every day was a different part of the the track really and then sort of um going slalom between cones and stuff down the hills and things. It was just amazing. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then I went to Sardinia to race, uh, learn. Basically, I fast-tracked getting my license. So I didn't do it the sort of normal way where you do it in the UK and you have to do loads of races. Uh, I literally just went to Sardinia and did the Henry, I think it was the Henry Morrow um, Formula Ford course. I think it was two or three days. And um, at the end of it, I got had to go for a medical and got felt up by this very hot doctor who was... <laughs> And, uh, and there's a picture of me on this bed with like a, a brain scan. It was just, I had like 20 wires attached to various points on my head. Yeah. It looked very bizarre, like Frankenstein kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I got the all clear and, and I got my racing license, which enabled me to race at Monza and Silverstone in the pre-63 GT. Um, and uh, yeah, did the Monte, Monte Carlo Valley twice and the Tour Auto as well, which was great. One does not simply enter the Monte Carlo Rally, but you did. I did, twice. So but I did not finish it twice either, which was very annoying. Yeah. Just one of those, yeah. First did, time... Did you, either, did you either... Second time a, the car broke down. Ah, right. I remember, the first time we got, we got lost. We were doing so well as well. We, we were on a special stage, and it was, I think, two or three in the morning on the last night. We'd been doing so well. And I got a puncture, and stupidly, 
um, the the spare wheel was was sort of tied down, and I don't know what you call them, those old fashioned ways of sort of tying the the, um, the wheels down in the back of the car. I needed a knife, basically. We didn't have a knife, so I couldn't get it out. It was completely rusted. This clip. Um, so we were kind of f- trying to flag down people on the side of the road at three in the morning on a mountain. Oh. And these two French guys stopped for us, which was really sweet, considering we would have sort of cost them time and points. But they stopped, and, you know, I changed the tyre, and then, yeah, and then we just got lost. I blame my navigator, obviously. <laughs> That's what navigators we are for. We speak for a while after that, I have to say. But, um, no, it was a really, it was such fun. I was lucky that we had the whole rally. But the second time I did it, I think we got lost, literally, within moments of leaving Turin. And uh, we broke down, basically. We sort of hopped, sort of very slowly managed to get to the checkpoint the next morning. But that was it. Our, our engine was pretty much blown up. So that was very disappointing. I'm, always, lots of fun. I'm always amazed when couples um, <clears throat> do an event like that together. It just seems like I think of me and my partner doing something like that. And it, a cold chill. You know, yeah, it's just a disaster. I can't imagine. I mean, I've had quite a few boyfriends over the years, and I can't imagine doing it with a guy who was I was seeing at all. I mean, both times I did it with a girl. The first time was a girl called Camilla. The second time was a friend of mine called Deborah Searle, who had actually rode across the Atlantic sing- single-handedly Good God. years before. And she's now a motivational speaker. I mean, she's she's the most amazing girl. But yeah, we got lost. And in the, the in the end, the car let us down, which was which was annoying because we did we did find our way back on track. But, I always um, I always advise against it because. It, People are so enthusiastic. They, they, they've got the car. They've had it all instrumented yeah. up. They've had it caged. It's got the right gear. And they say, oh, me and, you know, their significant other, be it male, female, whatever. And I'm thinking, and I say, are you sure that you really... Because I've navigated and driven. I've navigated and had navigators. Mm. And there have been times with even dear oh, friends, God, yeah. dear friends, where yeah. strong words have been exchanged. And I'm, oh, I'm no, really, no. I've never actually, I think I've only threatened to hit somebody once, but was very close to doing it. That's quite I mean, good going. I mean, af- yeah. I mean, afterwards, we were we were drinking in the bar and, and we mentioned it about, ooh, two or three years later. He suddenly said, were you really going to hit me? I said, I was that far from hitting you. And we both laughed because, and so I've often thought, do people do that with a partner and then you get, because it can be super stressful, can't it? In a good way, I, I mean. guys can, I think two guys, I mean, I, I have a lot of male friends for that reason. I just think they're way more chilled. Whereas <laughs> two girls, I mean, it can be a bit, get, get a bit more catty, which is why, like I say, most of my mates are, are men. Um, but I, yeah, like I mean, I do know couples, lots of couples that go and do rally together, but they tend to be the longer, sort of more luxurious ones. I mean, sort of like yeah. more of the tours in more comfortable Bentleys and things, yeah. not really special stage stuff where they're desperately trying to race. But I didn't realise when we were in Monaco that some of those special stages you actually have cars, you know, normal cars coming in the opposite direction. Um, so I quickly learned that. I didn't have any crashes, but there were some idiots who, I mean, I guess lots of people do it, but. Some French people were, like, throwing snow on the corners, and, of course, it would all go to turn into ice, and then we, we lost it. Um, but I think, actually, the guy was really fed up with me because the guy whose car it was, um, I lost a wing mirror on one, on one of the corners, and he was absolutely cool with that, but the biggest faux pas I made was filling up at a petrol station and being in such a rush, I forgot to, to sort of screw in the, um, the petrol cap. So I drove off without it, and apparently that was massive mistake because... I think he ended up looking in auto jumbles for another couple of years to try and find one that matched. So <laughs> I was not very well 
yeah, he was not pleased with me that that, that week. Yeah, but we got over it. In the cut and thrust of motorsport, unless I, I, I don't say this lightly, right? I mean this. In the cut and thrust of motor racing, unless somebody's dead, don't, I, I said this to somebody who got all upset with me about what seemed quite trivial. So unless somebody's dead, stop getting so excited. Because I've been there a few times when, guess what? Somebody was dead because of what had happened. And yeah. that is an appropriate time for people to get upset and lose yeah. their shit. And like, but, so again, I'm on this event with this guy. And it's a recreation, like many of the things I'm sure that you've taken part in, a recreation of something that used to happen back in the day. And we've taken the wrong turn. And he's lost it a bit. Yeah. So I've let him lose it. And then I've said to him, and I'm navigating, and I've said to him, when this event ran originally, you gave me a book that was written by somebody that took part. And in that book, he admits that at one point, they went 90 miles out of their way. I can see from here the turn that we've just missed. Now, stop getting so upset, <laughs> right? Some people are just super competitive, though, aren't they? Yeah, but... <sighs> but the thing is, it's just... I mean, that's why I like these two French guys that stopped for us, because I just thought, you know, they're just taking part. It's the whole... It didn't really matter. And they said this to us at the time. It doesn't matter. Like, we're having a really good time. We've seen you guys are in distress. It's going to take us 10 minutes to help you kind of cut this spare top, you know, wheel out of the back. Hmm. But, you know, it was part of the, taking part of the whole thing. It wasn't about necessarily winning. And they weren't going to win anyway. They Absolutely. were quite far behind because they were where, where, where we were. But um, it was a bit depressing sort of limping into the Parc Fermé in Monaco, sort of, I don't know, six in the morning, and there were just empty sh- champagne bottles and balloons oh. strewn all over the floor. We were like, bugger. <laughs> The, what are the, we really screwed up. Well, I have to admit, I was a bit pissed off because we did it. We the guy that who was um, sort of funding this this for us, he sent some mechanics to basically follow us in case we had any you know any issues breaking down, and they basically just followed us down all these really random dirt tracks. And I was thinking this can't be right. And my navigator at the time said, "No, we're definitely right. We're definitely right." And of course, we weren't. Um, so I was kind of hoping that those mechanics would have maybe had a sat nav, but they were just following us like blind following mm. the blind so that was a bit disappointing but at least we, we took part and it was a brilliant experience i've got fantastic photographs yeah. and we got sponsors like you no know, loads of people gave us money to help the heroes we raised a lot of cash for them it was just yeah. brilliant such an experience I, i've got a message for all those people all these men let's be honest all those men who are super competitive in these historic events yeah the rest of us the cool people think you're dicks right <laughs> It's, you know, it, I, was I mean, the, I listen, I am a bit competitive. I'm not going to We all are. But I is, we all are. But we're, we're all in it together. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story. I was doing an event with someone you know, a mutual friend. He's got a fantastic collection of cars. He is a, he's a good driver. He's a really good driver. And he's a super competitive guy. But halfway through the afternoon, he said to me, I think we're leading, you know, because we were leading at lunchtime. It was a one-day event. He said, I think we're leading. I said, yeah, I think we are. I think we're still, we must still be in the league because he'd been driving like a demon. And I said, uh, Porsche, beautiful 356. And is it someone you're allowed to mention or are you keeping it secret from me? Well, the thing is, if I, men- if I mentioned him as much as I would care to because we've done so many things together, he'd be on every week. And do you know what? He won't come on. And he won't come on. He's the biggest supporter of this show you could possibly imagine. And, he, and he's got an amazing collection and he's done a load of interesting stuff. And he will right. not come on the show. You've got persuaded. Anyway, he said to me, um, would it be all right if we go home? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we, we'd had 
two-thirds of the day. So we went back to the start point where they were like, oh, what's happened? <laughs> they, they thought we'd had some catastrophic problem. And we said, oh, we have other things to do. Sorry. <laughs> and they were like, but you're in the lead. And we went, well, yeah, we were in the lead. Thanks, bye. <laughs> and off we went. That's pretty cool. Well, we dad, you know, it's remember, we back in the day, yes, it was a big deal. All kinds of things depended were dependent on success. Sales mm. in the showroom, people's jobs, you know, if you were competing your your job as a driver, the mechanics, the team, mm. everybody, it was a big deal. But the historic versions of this stuff, it's just fun, or is it? Or is it, I ask you, because well, there are always... Very ga- <clears throat> when I've been to Pebble Beach and seen these oh. guys have detailers, sort of, oh. uh, there, was, there was one guy that had these detailers come in and polish his car, and the detailer didn't quite get it right with the whatever tool you call it, and basically burnt a hole in his paintwork from polishing it for too long in one place. And so <clears throat> some detailer friends of mine had to go in and fix the job, and then this guy didn't win his best-in-class or whatever because... I think a couple of tools in his toolbox weren't, you know, the correct tools or they were sort of slightly out of date or they weren't originals. And this guy who, I mean, made an absolute fortune, he, he properly lost the plot. And I was looking <laughs> and thinking, it's very sad when that kind of stuff happens and you think what's going on in the world and you haven't won first place because you've got a dodgy tool, you know. <laughs> he was the tool. Um, just... <laughs> I was going to say, well, for a man, having a dodgy tool can be quite a sensitive, <laughs> exactly. sensitive subject. What do you think so, of... Yeah, you, what do you think of... Meant, I mean, you get all sorts... But that is why I do love the historic world, because, I mean, I've had a bit of a flirtation with the F1 world. I don't know if I mentioned to you before that I did... A, um, I had an experience presenting for Formula One management, which they never asked me back again. And, I, I mean, when I think about what happened during some of those interviews, I just cringe and have to go, la, 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 quite loudly with my fingers in my ears, because it was just so embarrassing. But, I mean... That whole world was so competitive, and obviously there's so much at stake, like you said, money. And But with the historics, it's meant to be fun, and that's what I love about it. And you can go into a paddock, and you get people who are mechanics, and then you get people who you know, own huge, huge car collections, and they're talking to each other like equals because they have, there's so much respect because there's mm. so much knowledge, and the, the wealth of knowledge and sharing, all that, that it's just fantastic. I love that world. What about the... You said Pebble, and, and I've been to Pebble a couple of times, and mm. uh, I find it fascinating. <laughs> I find it so different to the European experience. It's just one, it's, it's, so it, I do it every... I mean, I haven't been able to go to the, the last two years because of lockdown. It's really a shame because it's it's just another world. I mean, Alan Decadene invited me to a, a drinks thing one evening. I think it was on the, on the last night, and Frank Stevenson, who was working for McLaren at the time, got up and did a speech, and it was... I mean, he... He loves to talk, and he's so interesting. <laughs> the speech went on and on and on, and everyone was sort of laughing because, you know, I think people wanted to go home. But it was just the wealth. I'd never seen that kind of wealth before, like real dynasty stuff where you had these sort of anorexic sort of 80-year-old dripping in diamonds, just sipping martinis in the most beautiful gowns. I just thought, you just, I just don't see this when I go to Monaco or when I go to, you know, Brands Hatch, for example. It's just another world. <laughs> yeah, I've actually stopped going to the. I know it sounds really poncy, but I used to do sort of Brands Hatch, Donington, all those kind of places. And I've just no, I do Monaco now if I can get in, and they're quite sort of tricky about who they let in. But I've been to Amelia Island once, which was ridiculously cool. Mm. I loved it so much. Um, and I've done Pebble. I've been going to Pebble pretty much every year since 2010, um, and that's just 
that's just fantastic. But I love going to the historic Grand Prix in Monaco because for me as a painter, sort of sketching the, the, the cars going around the corners, all those famous corners at the Fairmont and by the pool, with all those cranes and those amazing sort of buildings, that to me for an image, a generic image of a racetrack is just, I love that. Whereas, as you can understand, going to, I don't know, a track somewhere in the UK, Donington, for example, is one of the most depressing tracks. Even even Silverstone, <laughs> I find really depressing. There's not really much to draw other than concrete. So, uh, yeah, I don't go to those events anymore. I had my biggest my biggest stack in a car was at Donington. Really? It's, it's still on YouTube, and I blame it. It's always it. so windy there. Yeah. Well, maybe that was why, maybe that was why I crashed. <laughs> That's why you crash. <laughs> I blame I blame a milkman from Bolton. <clears throat> we were in the support race for British Touring Car, and there was there was like a the all, it was a Ford. It was the cars were all Fords, right? And um, I'd been doing a bit of motorsport here and there, and sort of you know just where I could if I could get the driving anything, I was grabbing it and trying to get as much experience as I could. Not with any idea. I was way too old to sort of be thinking about it as a career. But I think as a journalist, I'm always looking for a new a new motoring experience. Like the other day, for instance, I drove a Mini Contessa, which is the smallest and by far the worst car I've ever driven. And the guy was kind of apologising. I was going, no, this is fantastic. I've found a new low. I've got a new... <laughs> when people say to me, hey, Steve, what's the best car? You What's the worst car? I go, right, OK, the Mini Contessa. Two-speed, 48 cc's, six-inch wheels, and had to have supermarket trolley casters on all four corners to stop it from tipping over every time you wow. turn around a bend. So what, but, Vitara? Sounds like, yeah, like a, like a s- microscopic version of your old, your old yeah. Vitara, but without, without the sex appeal. No, yeah. I was, I was, so I'm in this race, and, and I, I, I was used to going, Donington was where I, like you, I fast-tracked my licence by going to a school. I went to the Jim Russell School at Donington, and people like uh, Hamish Gordon and Andy Pardo taught me to drive a racing car. People I still know and I'm friendly with to, to this day. And... Uh, sort of did all right at the school you know i was kind of in the top two two or three and so you know i was pretty quick around donnington i thought until i got into this celebrity car whatever it was and this bloke from bolton who was doing really well in the series wandered over and he went that car's rubbish steve it's terrible it's really slow it's it's all set up to be easy to drive and i was like oh right okay so he said but i've been watching you and i think you can make some time up at the crane of curves he said what you're going are you flat? You flat in fifth? I went. No, I'm flat in fourth. He said, "Oh, flat in fifth, mate. You make up." Some... Anyway, the the first time I tried it, <laughs> it doesn't sound like good advice to me, Steve. I think I rolled five and a half times because the car ended up. The car was after it had rolled violently at, at high speed down the track towards. The... Had you fallen out? Had you fallen out with this guy before he gave you this advice in inverted commas? <laughs> I've always, I am now to this day, if anybody gives me any sort of tip, right, so it, this is this is my problem. I think, because I, I thought, right. Was he trusting? I thought, how's this guy doing in the championship? Somebody said to me, he's second. And I thought, oh, I better listen to him. It's like when I was, at, my biggest stack on a bike was at Cadwell. Mm. And I was passed um, in a practice session by a man who was known as the captain on account of the fact that his name was Mark Phillips. So he was just, you know, inevitably called the captain. And as he Hasn't passed... Princess Anne's husband? It wasn't Princess Anne's husband. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be I funny if it race. was? I knew he was into horses. I wasn't sure he was into racing. No, cars. no, no. Uh, no, this was a bike. And he passed me on a bike. Oh, and right. I thought, that guy's got a lap record here. So I thought, I'll follow him. 
and I will look where he breaks and turns, and I will attempt to emulate him. <laughs> now, that was a terrible idea, because there was a reason he was at the lap record at Cadwell Park, because he was really talented and good and experienced. And I am not a racer. I am a journalist who's ridden a lot of bikes and had a lot of... But I'm not a racer. And when... I stuck with him for about two laps and then had a massive off. <laughs> you know, I think it, it seems like such a good time, doesn't it, to go and do the fast track, get your licence really quickly by attending a few days. And, you know, you said that you were pretty good. I thought I was pretty good. And then the first time I ever raced, I think, was at Silverstone. No, it was Monza. And uh, and the second time was at Silverstone. Monza and Silverstone with us? Really? GT. And I, I literally, I think it was on, I don't know, what, what chicane or whatever, I basically did a 180 and had a Ferrari bread van heading straight towards me. And I Ooh. thought, yeah, maybe I should have done the, the traditional way of getting my racing license. <laughs> Luckily, there were no pings, but that could have been quite serious. No, it's too, it's too expensive, isn't it? It's like, you've got to be so... I also have no patience, Steve. I mean, if you <sighs> get it done, yeah. done and dusted, you get felt up by a hot Italian doctor. I mean, I was so happy. <laughs> That guy should be in court for what he did. You're saying it like it's a good thing. <laughs> I don't thing. really know why he had to feel my boobs at the extent he did have to. I'm actually not joking. It was it was quite an inf- a thorough investigation. But, you, you know, I got my licence. Usually, so. it's me that says the, the inappropriate <laughs> and, and possibly uh, libelous things on this show. But I'm glad that for once it's not me. It, it's you. So okay. when did you, obviously, you, as you say, you went to art school. When did you kind of make the connection between... Um, you know, being an artist and motorsport and think, oh, maybe, yeah. What, did it seem obvious or did it take a while for you to put the two together? No, it, it kind of happened organically, really. I was, um, I left, when I was at St Martin's, I was interested in um, painting things on location and, and drawing mm. from life rather than doing stuff from my imagination. And I was writing a thesis about um, war photography and illustrative sort of work, you know, like war artists, like Linda Kitson, who was the official Falklands war artist. Yeah. And so I got in touch with Linda Kitson, and she was great, and um, and then I got in touch with the late um, Tom Stoddart, who was a war photographer. Anyway, I was writing about this, and then, as it happened, I went to a wedding, my cousin's wedding, and she was married to a captain of a submarine. And I was like, oh my God, can I please come on a submarine and do some painting? Like, you know, I wanted to be like the next Linda Kitson, and he was like... You can't get on a submarine because you're a civvy, but we could possibly get you on a on a frigate. Anyway, a few weeks later, I get a phone call from HMS Cornwall saying we've been we've you know we've heard that you'd like to come and draw. Would you like to come down to Plymouth and um, spend a week at sea with us? So that was pretty amazing, and that's another story in itself. But I was I started doing a lot of work for the Royal Navy, and I was commissioned by them to sort of create artwork that was used as their marketing material. Um, and then a friend of mine who I met through sort of going out partying in London said, oh, you know, you, sh- you should paint race cars. There's a guy called James Wood, who I'm sure you might have heard of. He's been on the scene for many, many years and races lots of people's cars. And he said, come out to Monaco, you know, you should, you should send me all these pictures of him in race cars. And I was like, oh, there's no way I can afford to go to Monaco and stay in these ridiculously expensive hotels. Um, but long story short, he invited me out there and introduced me to a bunch of people in the paddock. And I turned up with my A5, sorry, not A5, A3 sketchbook and a bag of inks and just sat down and started painting someone's um, BRM, I think it was. And the guy bought it from me. And then I had a tap on the shoulder and someone said, when you've done that, can you paint my Formula Junior Stangolini? So I went to the Formula Junior paddock. Then I was asked to paint someone else's car. And then someone said, are you coming to Monza in a couple of weeks? And I said, you know, what's Monza? And it literally was like that. From from nowhere, I, I was always interested in drawing mechanical objects. You know, I did lots 
stuff with the Royal Navy. I painted their Harriers, their helicopters. I was thrown in a Harrier jump jet, which was the most amazing wow. experience. I went up for an hour and took the controls and did a loop-the-loop. It was just fantastic. <laughs> um, so I've had some really cool experiences all through, through you know, painting. And, yeah, the kind of I, I quickly realized that people in the Royal Navy, A, don't you know, necessarily want slightly wonky drawings of, of ships. You know, the, you, you see these paintings that are so very traditional, you know, these grey ships charging through these big seas. And my style, if you looked at my work, is not like that. It's quite quirky, very vibrant, colourful. Mm. And, um, and it, you know, it's very popular with a lot of people, but it's, I think my work's a bit like Marmite. But I quickly realised that people in the Royal Navy don't have lots of cash to buy pictures, whereas when you go to Monaco and you're doing a painting and people want to, you know, it, there's so much photography out there. Everyone's got pictures of their cars at various race, you know, race yeah. tracks. But to have a painting done in the paddock live with their kind of wife sitting next to the car with a gin and tonic in the hand. You know, that was, I think, a new thing, especially for a woman to be painting that. So um, I quickly got recognised, and my, Nick Walsh from Classic and Sports Car did a feature on me. In, um, and then I did some stuff with Octane, and it, it just, I sort of became known at various tracks. And it was really, it very quickly got accepted, and it, it was great. And that's how it all started, and that was back in, I started, I think, my first painting was in 2008 of a car, and I've been doing it ever since. Which car? Which cars are your favourites to paint? Which is it? Is it the ones that are that are the most stra- extravagant, the most spectacular cars, or is there, is there an era of car that that particularly lends pre-war itself? I love pre-war cars because yeah. I think they've got so much character. You know, I always sort of shudder a little bit when someone asks me to paint their brand new Ferrari, or you know, it's, the lines are so subtle; they're quite difficult, you know, to to do and. I don't mind that, but I just I just think when you've got sort of old Bugattis or, you know, an old ERA, for example, you, there's just so much, especially if you've got the bonnet up and you're drawing all the cylinders and stuff. I love that. Um, and it just, I think you can just sort of draw their character because they're, they really, they're quite quirky, some of these old cars, I'm sure you appreciate. And I, yeah. I just love that so much. And I also really enjoy, you know, I used to love going to Goodwood Revival and sitting in, in the paddock and just drawing maybe three or four cars in a line with mechanics of taking off mm. wheels and, you know, fixing engines and stuff. That's that's what I like doing. Do you work quickly, or, or does it take you quite a while to... No, I work really quickly. I mean, I've always had to work quickly, because when you're working on a location, you have to. So, I, you know, when I first went to, to Monaco back in 2008, you know, I'd sit down and sort of drawing something, and then it would go out for practice. I'd think, oh, my God, you know, and they'd, bless them, they'd all try and line the cars back up again as best they could, but the wheels were always going to be in a different place. So I realised really quickly that I had to draw quickly. As, as quickly as possible mm. but also things like when i go to the quail um every year um you know the sort of pebble beach week monterey week you get the most amazing people i mean it's very commercial now it wasn't so much when i first went but you get very glamorous people sort of wandering past with big hats and short skirts you know again with martinis or various cocktails and you might just get a woman walking past a cart which takes a couple of seconds you know, if I was working from a photograph, someone sent me a picture, I probably, she probably wouldn't be in it. But in a three-hour or four-hour painting stint, one person might walk by and I'll just quickly capture them and they're part of the painting. So that's what's so good about you know, art is that you can just add and edit. So you're not necessarily painting exactly what's there, but you're allowing to sort of put your own interpretation mm. and sort of capture the essence, really. Do you like to, do you like to paint cars on the move or static? Uh, I can get, there's a lot more detail, obviously, when they're static. But like I mentioned earlier, when I go to Monaco and I'm sort of sitting on the pit wall looking down, um, the majority of the painting is, is 
is sort of the background and getting all the buildings in and the, and the boats and the yachts in the harbour. Mm. And then the car goes past and I capture it really, really quickly. Um, and there's a lot of movement. And they're, they're often just a bit of a squiggle, but it's not, it, to me, it's not important. I'm not trying to create a photographic representation. I'm trying to capture the atmosphere. And, and it's very sort of illustrative and, and impressionistic, really. So, you know, sometimes I take pictures and work from those afterwards just to make, make it a little bit more recognisable. You know, I had a commission a few years ago, clients, um, great friends with the Ferrari F1 team, and she commissioned three paintings, one for Kimi, um, one for um, Sebastian and, and Maurizio, and um, she she was very specific about the cars having to have a certain number on, you know, it had to be the specific car and, you know, which cars were behind, and, and obviously that's done from photographs, but I think now over the years, because I've done so much live and on location, I now know how to get that energy and then put that into a painting that's done from a photograph. What do you, what do you keep of your work? I mean, do you when you let the painting go? Is it is it not is it not difficult? Do you do you take photographs or or do you I just take scans you... of everything I do? I mean, I'm a commercial artist, so you know I think to begin with, when I first started selling stuff, it was a bit of a wrench because I get quite attached. But now I'm very it, it's what I do. I, I make good money from, from doing it, and they go. And I've, I've got a, a really good scan, or I get my work professionally photographed, and I make limited edition prints. So, to me, you know, it's great to know that an original painting is hanging on right. someone's wall. Um, but I also can make sort of smaller prints for people if they're interested, and it's more affordable for you know, a lot. A lot of children actually buy my work. When I have art fairs, a lot of sort of teenagers come, or, or even younger kids, you know, with their dads, and they want some artwork for their walls I, I was in Wimbledon art fair recently and this eight-year-old boy loved my car paintings and bought a few and it was just so nice to see that it's being appreciated by different generations i was on through the keyhole do you remember that oh, right <laughs> do you remember that david I, re- I don't think i i think i may have watched snippets of it i never sat down for a full episode but i know i know what you're talking about yeah the, david frosts was he sir david i think he was oh, uh, yeah. and uh and lloyd grossman it was it was kind of the show that introduced us to lloyd grossman wasn't it and he'd, he'd say so lloyd grossman would come and wander around your property and he'd make observations about the stuff that you have in your house mm-hmm. which was meant to give a clue as to who you were and then he'd go so it's over to you, David. Like they said, then they'd all try and guess you know, what you did or who it was and all that sort of stuff. So they came to my house and they said, uh, where's all like the motorbike and car stuff? I said, uh, in the garage. <laughs> like this. Because, it, I mean, even today, if you came into my home, um, there's very little that's kind of motoring related. But that's quite common, don't you think? I mean, often these guys... You know, who collect cars, or even women, you know, their other hubs don't necessarily want pictures exactly. of their cars in their house. Yeah, so but I, I... Put into the garage. I, I live on my own. Please, no, no sympathy. And uh, my partner lives thousands of miles away. And so, if, but if you come into my living room, I'm trying to think, there's, there's a painting of a Thames scene, like sort of after Canaletto or something like this. Mm-hmm. This kind of, you know, stuff that I think is aesthetically nice. And yet, mm-hmm. and all the car and bike stuff is in like one room where all the car man cave kind of the man cave but my prop my whole property is a man cave because it's just me but it's kind of i don't know i think there's something there's something that's a bit too mechanical is that i'm i'm getting horribly pretentious now but there's something a bit too mechanical for it to be in the car and bikes to be in the main 
living space? Well, it depends what kind of work it is. I mean, there's a guy, an artist who I love, his name's Jeremy Dixon, and he has a studio in my studios around me. And the first time I saw his work was when I was um, in California for Pebble Beach, and I went to his house with some mechanics I was staying with. And um, he had his paintings were these sort of old beaten up like banger cars on top of each other. And I remember yeah. looking at them thinking this is the most amazing work because it's it's obviously very realistic. The paintings he's done were really cool, but it was very much playful. It was like toy cars on top of each other. And I years later discovered him in a studio about five doors down from me. And I just think it depends. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, when I was doing stuff for the Royal Navy, a lot of guys would say, I'd really like to buy one of your Harrods, but my wife will kill me if I have another picture of a, you know, a, a, you know some sort of <laughs> aeroplane or helicopter or ship on my walls. But I think my star, that's why they are popular with a lot of people because they're not sort of very mechanical, if you know what I mean. They, they are, they're, they're quite quirky. As I mentioned earlier, you've got sort of glamorous people in them. When I go to Goodwood, I, I love drawing you know, from Goodwood House, looking down, you've got the guys with the pot bellies sitting down on the, you know, on the picnic, and you got it, it, there are so many different characters. You know, you get different different crowd at the Fest of the Speed as you compared to the, the revival, for example. And it's just I love that about capturing the type of people that go to the events. It's not just about the cars; it's about the whole thing. It's about the whole package. So, what? Are you the last couple of years must have been incredibly difficult for you in 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 terms of your work because there hasn't there haven't been the events that you need there to have been yeah. there have been no, for you I mean, to it's, work. It's been hard because I haven't been able to go to any of the car events. And that, you know that has pretty much been my bread and butter for many years. But what was strange is that in lockdown I sort of started to panic. Um, but I actually had my best year last year because I think people were bored at home. And I just adapted. So rather than painting people's cars, people were sending me pictures of their houses or, you know, a restaurant maybe where they met their partner or a picture of their dog or their children. And I just adapted and started painting loads, I mean, loads and loads of house commissions. And I was, Instagram is quite a good platform for me. And I use, I put a lot of my work on Instagram. And, um, yeah, it was just crazy. I think just people were bored and wanted to have artwork for their homes. So you must be looking, very much looking forward to this year, as I am, uh, imagining yeah. that a lot of the events that we... Well, we've we... got Monaco in May, haven't we? So I'm really excited about that, because that, every two years, is just the most brilliant event. Um, and then, of course, Pebble, if, if that goes ahead this year. I, mean, I, know, I know it will go ahead, whether or not we can go, but I'm sure we, hopefully, after three years, we should be able to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's good to do different things. I think I'd get bored just doing the same thing over and over again. So actually having... A, a couple of years off and painting different subjects has been quite refreshing, really. It must be interesting because I was going to ask you who you are most excited when you celeb spot at Pebble. Who you are most excited to see? And for people, um, for for me, when I the last time I was there, the two people I'm always thrilled to see Mario Andretti because I think that's it's it, you know I'm 57 years old and that's kind of there are certain drivers or riders in motorsport who are iconic to you and to your generation because they hit a sweet spot when you would just get into the age where you were really starting to pay attention and I thought that guy's cool his hair was always perfect <laughs> typical Italian it's like it's like that bloody doctor who molested you it's like you think look at him he's just a charmer he's eat and the thing about he did Mario, not molest me it was well. very important <laughs> You, I'd always think, it, to me, he was very much the four-wheeled equivalent of Giacomo Agostini, the motorcycle racer, who, again, I know him. 
He's so cool. He's so cool. I've got a picture of him and I together. I painted his bike. And there's Arturo Mazzario. I can never pronounce his surname. Mazzario, is that his surname? Is he the dude in the cowboy hat? Yes. Yeah, yeah that so guy. I, so the guy that used to sponsor me with all my racing, he was really good. Is really good friends with Arthur. I think they've got an event for him at Goodwood this year, actually. Um, special sort of. Anyway, they've got something going on for him this year. But um, yeah, he's. I used to go to the Goodwood Ball with with my mates and, and Arturo, but they'd all sitting around the table talking Italian, and I'm sure there was. Yeah, I'm not sure what they were saying. But they were nudge nudge, <laughs> wink winking. He's a. He's a little dirt bag, I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> we were at Brooklands, and, and I was stood with my missus, and uh, Agostini was in a car with somebody I know, and the guy who was driving the car pulled up, and he was talking to me. And while he was talking to me, Ago was, like, winking at my missus. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, He was kind of looking over my pal's shoulder. He was, he was saying to me, so, Stevie, because they wanted me to... Well, not they wanted to be. There were loads of people doing it. They wanted me to drive around the track, the Mercedes-Benz World track in this for in this Lamborghini. I got in trouble in the end. But I managed to blame the bloke who was in the car with me because he was going, go faster, go faster. And then they black flagged me and I said, it was his fault. He told me to go faster. Anyway, she said, uh, Ago was Ago was winking at me. I said, yeah, I saw him. I said, you do realise he's like 80 or something like that. And she said... He still looks pretty good for that, though. She said... Well, the last time I saw she him, he said, She said, he's still hot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. I was like, how dare he? How dare that man be so talented, good-looking, apparently a, a great, great guy. I mean, Ian Flux, who was on the show the other week, told us a story. I've got to tell you this story about Ago. He told us. He said when he when Ago took to cars after his bike career and his his and then went into managing race teams. But he had he raced cars. And they were racing at Donington. It's already been mentioned where I had my massive crash. He probably didn't because he's got a lot more talent than me. Um, and Ago would cook them these fantastic meals. And he said to Ian Flux, who was mechanic for him, what would you like to have for dinner tomorrow? And Fluxy straight away just said, uh, king prawns and avocado, like that, as a joke, as a joke. The next day, Ago, t- Ago made lunch, king prawns and avocado, but he'd been missing for the morning. He'd driven from Donington to Harrods in London. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sure you know where Harrods is. Harrods in London from Donington, which is in Nottingham, driven to Harrods to get, because it was the only place he could think where he'd be able to What a nice him. guy, though. He went all the way there to get it, because and Fluxy was like, it was a joke. We didn't, you, you shouldn't have done that. And he was like, no, no, it's fine. What a great guy. How dare well, he be so nice. Well, I the drive, to be fair. <laughs> right, so uh, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Where can people see your work on Instagram? Is that the best place to see it? Well, yeah, Instagram, ALFelsidor. I've got my website, ALFelsidor.com. So there's there's not just car stuff on there. There's all sorts. Um, but, um, yeah, they're the two places to, go, to see. I've got quite a lot of stuff about my son on Instagram, so it's probably not the best place and lots of other work. But for car lovers, it's probably the, the car yeah. category on my website, motor racing category. And which are you most just just finally? Which are you most passionate about? Is it is it the art or the cars, or is, are they inseparable? Um, I, the cars. I mean, the cars. As I've mentioned to you before, the fact that you know, if, if I was just a standard artist, just painting from my imagination, or you know, to actually get myself into positions where I am able to fly on a Harrier, or or you know race at various tracks around the world or have these experiences in Finland or 
that to me is just it's just such a fantastic life experience and so the cars are always have always been you know ever since I started painting them it wasn't like I had my dad sort of teaching me about cars when I was growing up but it, it all came so much later mm. but having had experience of actually driving these some of these you know, cars it just made my passion more you know I've become a lot more interested in the whole subject, really. So, well, yeah. Well, do you know what? I, I get to attend, like you, many of the events that you, you, you do as an observer, as a journalist, yeah. as a presenter or, or whatever. And I meet a lot of people who I am convinced are there on sufferance because they think they should be there because it's the sort of thing that they should do. But there are some people who obviously have a deep-seated passion for it. You are definitely one of those people. It comes through in everything that you've said in the last hour. But I have to say, though, when I go to some of these Concours events, you know, I'm, I'm with people who may not have been to as many and, and just are sort of like salivating over every single car. That's not me. You know, I just love the whole atmosphere. I love mm. going to the various tents. It's about the people as well. I mean, the cars are stunning, but mm. it's also, like I said earlier, it's, it's the whole package. It's the people that you meet, the passion that's there, um, the environment, everything about it. But, you, you've yeah, nailed I mean, it. You've nailed it. I, I've tried to explain, not as well as you, but I've tried to explain that before where people have said, I don't get it. I don't get all this I mean, I've passion. I've no interest in staring under a yeah, bonnet. I said it's on not. It. That, I, I don't know enough about it. You know, if I, like I said yeah. earlier, if I grew up with a parent or a grandfather who had taught me about, you know, diffs and stuff, then, I, then I'd get it more. But that's not where I'm coming from. It's just, just to have an overall view and impression, often with a, you know, a paintbrush in my hand and a, a glass in the other. That's, that's the best way of doing it, I think. And it's just to make the amazing friends that I've met over the years. And now I'll go to Monaco and I'll, I'll get some mechanic come up to me who I recognise but I don't know his name. This happens a lot, you know, offering me some sun cream or something because they know who I am. They've been seeing me doing it for years. And a lot of them have actually bought prints from me as well, which is really nice. You know, it's not... It's just a really lovely, I think it's quite a cuddly little world, really. That's it for another episode of Steve's Speech Shop. Social media doesn't let us tell you about it. You need to spread the word about Speech Shop. Tell people how good it is, how entertaining it is, and how fantastic I am. See you back here next Wednesday. <laughs>